0: Welcome to the Clinical Consult, a podcast from the National Register of Health Service Psychologists examining timely psychological trends and excellence in clinical practice. I'm Dr. Samuel Lustgarten. I'm excited to have a friend and colleague here today, Dr. John Elhai. Dr. Elhai is a full professor at the University of Toledo's clinical psychology program. He has an extensive publication history regarding post-traumatic stress disorder, and in more recent years has become a leader in the field of cyber psychology and problematic smartphone use. Thank you for being with us and welcome to the program, John. Thank you, Sam. Yeah, absolutely. You know, just so that our listeners are aware You know, one of the first times I ever communicated with you, John, was was over email, actually. We never have actually met in person, Mm -hmm. um, which is a pretty wild thing, um, but maybe fitting for talking to you today as a cyber psychology expert. But this was back in 2015 or 16. And I remember keenly that an artificial intelligent um, or an artificially intelligent virtual assistant stepped in to help us with our scheduling. Um, And I remember thinking, this is one of the most technologically proficient professors I've ever had a conversation with. So I'm thrilled, especially at this time when we're working from home and dealing with technology more than ever before, to be talking to you about cyber psychology and also problematic smartphone use. You know, today, I want to kind of start our conversation, John, thinking about what cyber psychology is. What is that as a field? And what does it constitute?
1: Yeah, well, cyber psychology is a subfield of psychology that's actually fairly well related to com- the computer science field's human-computer interaction uh, discipline. Cyberpsychology within psychology basically involves the interaction between how people use computer technology and in terms of how it is related to our emotions and behavior and, and thoughts. So it's really a couple of major branches within cyber psychology of research. One is how computer technology influences or is influenced by our emotions and thoughts and behavior, such as what we'll be talking about today, like um, you know what kinds of mental health reasons might drive some people to excessively engage in smartphones, and, and also how overuse of smartphones might affect our, our body, sleep, mental health, things like that. The other major branch of cyber psychology is very different, it involves how researchers and clinicians might use computer technology to advance the psychology field, like mm-hmm. smartphone apps, for example, telehealth, telemental health interventions. So these are two different topics uh, within cyber psychology, but that constitutes a couple of the major
0: branches. Right. So we've got the human computer interaction pieces, how humans interact with technology that they use on an everyday basis, both I'm guessing on a hardware level and a software level, the user interfaces that we engage in. But then I think, John, you're kind of alluding to this idea of how we might use technology in professional practice and research too. I'm curious as we're having this conversation, just so that we're all on the same page, where your area of research and interests is.
1: So I've done a a few different areas, a couple of different areas within cyberpsychology over these past few years, and one has dealt with how large-scale computer data breaches, electronic data breaches affect people's anxiety. Mm -hmm. More recently, I've been involved more so in how, as I was alluding to earlier, investigating the types of psychological constructs and psychopathology factors that drive some people to excessively engage in, in, in their smartphones, social media, internet gaming, and that sort of thing. And which kinds of psychological constructs
0: might buffer overuse of, of computer technology? You know, you're you're already bringing us to a really good place naturally in our conversation where I, I'd love to explore that that idea of what constitutes problematic smartphone use. You know, I was thinking in preparation for our conversation today, this idea that, gosh, we haven't had smartphones in, in our culture as humans for very long. You know, it, it might feel like we've always had it, but the first iPhone was in 2007. You know, and as soon as I could get one, as soon as I could get my hands on one, I was playing with it and trying to, to see how it would help my life. And I thought, oh, my gosh, it's got the maps, the text messages, email, everything. It just it felt like I've, I was plugged in and yet today we're using these devices more than ever before i think more than maybe was it ever even intended and so as you start to talk about where you've gone in your research it's making me wonder like what makes their use problematic
1: yeah well <clears throat> what what is not what doesn't make it problematic necessarily is the frequency of use because if we just judge it based on frequency of use um, then you know, you've got the, the kind of situation that I've, you, that I've illustrated in some of my papers in the past is what about a, a, um, a, a salesperson or a realty agent who's on the road showing houses, on, has to be on her or his phone all day talking with mortgage companies? I don't really know exactly what realtors do, but this sort of thing where that's what they're doing in order to get their job done. And it's adaptive, and maybe they're able to, at the end of the day, 5 p.m., go home with their family or friends and still enjoy life away from their technology. So the person might've been on their phone for eight hours of the day, but that's adaptive for that person. But another person might be maybe like a college student who is only using their phone or social media a couple hours a day, but it's interfering with their studies and their homework. So it's not based on frequency, but instead it's based on how much functional impairment the technology use causes in their everyday life, social functioning, work functioning. And that's, that's what it's really about. And that's how we, we judge excessive use of technology, inc- including smartphones, is we ask questions you know, based on standardized scales, for example, to get a sense of if their high frequent use is actually interfering with their daily life.
0: So we're thinking about what are the consequences? How is this impacting their ability to engage or functionally engage with the the life that they have or that they're leading? And it's not enough to just say, oh, they picked up their phone 150 times this day. They might need that as a function of their work. And so that might be actually, as a consequence, very positive for their um, effectiveness at their workplace.
1: That's exactly correct, yeah, so so not just frequency, but you know, just like with me- with almost every mental disorder in the dsm five you know you can't just have the symptoms, but you also have to have some sort of functional impairment, social occupational work, and that's that's what we're looking for in terms of whether the technology uh, the overuse is problematic, and probably what we'll also get into later in this talk is the issue of making sure that we don't over pathologize. So if we're not, mm-hmm. if, if we're only looking at frequency, a lot of people are gonna be over pathologized, but mm-hmm. that's why we need this functional impairment as a major important factor of determining overuse.
0: So how do we figure this out? You know, I'm, I'm thinking about whether whether I'd be able to know that my client, my patient is experiencing problematic smartphone use. You know, should a client of mine come to therapy, you know, what am I going to be seeing? Like, how am I going to know, oh, that's, that's the smartphone. That's, that's the smartphone's role in, in this impairment or the the impairment is really um, being caused by or facilitated by their smartphone use. How would I know? Well, Assessment
1: is gonna be helpful. And, and first, you know, even though frequency is not the only determinant of overuse, we still wanna get a sense of frequency and, and how much digital technology devices the person's being is using and what different types of uses they're, they're engaging in. That's gonna be important too. So we can ask the person how much they're engaging in technology use. Of course, you know, that's based on self-report. And there are limitations in self-report. People actually are not very good at, at estimating how much they use their, their smartphones or other devices. Now, as you know, most devices and operating systems have screen time estimates that you can use. So you can use some of those things to objectively measure how much they're using their devices and what they're using it for. You know, is it social purposes? Is it, is it entertainment? That sort of thing. But in terms of functional impairment, we would assess... Just like we would assess any, any mental disorder to see how much symptoms of a particular disorder are impacting their grades if they're in school. So academics, work, social. So we can ask these sorts of things. We can ask collateral information. We can bring the person's spouse in the room and ask them, how often do you find yourself having to tell the patient, put your phone down, you're not paying attention to me. Mm-hmm. These sorts right. of things. So we can look at these sorts of um, behavioral patterns. So that's another kind of, of uh, way of looking at this. You
0: no, know, I know that a lot of the, the research that you've conducted, it seems to be looking at you know how to assess it, how to, to see this kind of concept, this new area. And I'm, I'm finding myself curious, you know, once we get a pretty good understanding of what's there, what the problem might be, if that's happening and we, ha- we have that good understanding, now what? What do we do with this information?
1: Yeah, now is past assessment and we're talking about intervention. Right. So I think of technology overuse in terms of interventions as involving two types of interventions, technological interventions and psychological interventions. So psychological interventions, we can do things to figure out um, and treat, why is it that the person's overusing technology or certain aspects of technology what are they missing? What are they missing from their life that they could be doing instead? Are they only engaging in watching Netflix for many hours a day? And instead of actually meeting in person or meeting online, you know, all of this is thrown out the window nowadays because of of COVID-19, are you meeting online or, you know, but that sort of thing. But even under normal circumstances, there would be psychological interventions to, to, um, help people gain more adaptive ways of fulfilling their lives than, than just by being stuck with their screen. There are also, on the other hand, technological interventions. You know, maybe you have a patient who acknowledges themselves that they spend way too much time on Twitter, for example. Well, there mm-hmm. could be technologi- technological um, fixes for that, like maybe remove Twitter from your phone Log out of right. Twitter. Only limit it to your computer because you're only on your computer a certain number of times a de- day at certain times of the day. Um, you know, some people even go to the extent of, you know, you can set up restrictions on your phone. You can prevent yourself from even, from even having access to an app like Twitter. So you can do, you can do some te- technological um, things in order to basically create some distance between you and the technology uh, to, to, to inhibit your, your likelihood of being lured into using the app or service.
0: Right, right. And I think I, I really appreciate you sharing a little bit about some of the interventions there and the technological ones in particular, because I I think about that even for myself, how how quick it is, how easy it is to pick up my phone and boom, I'm like in that app and I'm going. So when you talk about, you know, uninstalling Twitter, I have a little bit of uh, resistance there. I notice it even in myself, but, but also recognize, yeah, if we, if we make this a little bit more difficult, if we create a little bit more friction here in that interchange, maybe that reduces my use.
1: And, and it's not your fault for being lured into it because that's part of the technology platforms business models is to lure you in and to get you to keep going back to it. It's the, you know, they, some folks call it the power of the like button. It and, and as you might have seen from using certain services like Facebook, you haven't maybe checked Facebook in a day, all of a sudden you see a, a notification that isn't important. It's just, it's just trying to lure you, but hey, you haven't used it in a few hours, come back, don't leave right. us. We want why it's to make money, right? Because, because of ads and, and data earns these companies money.
0: Got it. Got it. You know, earlier, John, you were saying something that I think is really important whenever we're talking about diagnosis, which is that, you know, there can be, especially with certain diagnoses, a tendency to over-pathologize, maybe normal behavior. My understanding is that as of right now, the ICD-11, which is the International Classification of Diseases, and the DSM-5 don't include any language specifically saying internet or smartphone use disorders. So I I would imagine that makes it kind of challenging because at least in our managed care system, you've got to have usually a diagnosis that's associated with treatment. So help me understand what's happening here and, and sort of the pros and cons of using this labeling.
1: Yeah, sure. So so first of all, you're right. Um, there is no problematic smartphone use disorder. Um, you know, so I, th- I think of it as it's yes, it's not a a diagnosable disorder, but it's still an important psychological construct. I mean, it affects people. You know, it, it's what leads people to walk into water fountains while they're texting or walk into traffic and, mm-hmm. and get hurt. But you're right. We do have to be careful not to over pathologize in DSM-5 and ICD-11, the closest that we have is a gaming disorder, which is in ICD-11, and it's a proposed disorder in, in DSM-5. That's at present, you know, that might that might change in the future. You know, personally, I think it's about the, the symptoms and the behavior. I don't know if there's much of a difference if someone is equally affected um, functionally from gaming versus from a smartphone. They can't be diagnosed for it for smartphone, but they can be for gaming. So to me, the consequences are still equally important, whether it's from a smartphone or from gaming. And it's the symptoms that we use in terms of of making a diagnosis. So, you know, this issue that also comes up is comorbidity. and, And it's very likely that someone who's going to be really overusing their smartphone, it's, it's a, there's a good possibility that they might have an anxiety or depressive diagnosis. And so that's what we would have to treat. And in fact, it's anxiety and depression that seem to be what drive excessive use of, of technology. So, so yeah, we do have to be careful to not over pathologize. Everybody has a smartphone, everybody's using a smartphone. Uh, we have to be careful not to over pathologize. And But we do have to recognize that overuse of digital uh, technology is still a problem that, that we need to attend to, and one of the reasons why it's a problem is that it's going to have other kinds of psychological symptoms that often go with it, and those would be the things that we could also treat as part of intervention.
0: You know, I'm recognizing we, we have limited time left, but I, I, I want to follow up with one thing that you're saying there about this concept of comorbidity. You know, what comes to my mind is like the chicken or egg conversation. You know, what causes what? What started first? Are we talking about you know someone having a diagnosable DSM disorder, or are we talking about problematic smartphone use that then becomes uh, a disorder? What, what, how, what have you seen? What comes first? Right. So conceivably, yeah, if you think about it, if
1: you engage in, in technologies too much, it could cause depression, anxiety, or maybe the other way of thinking about it is maybe anxiety or depression could cause you to overuse your phone uh, and, and digital technology. But in terms of empirical evidence and in terms of recognized theoretical frameworks in this area, the overwhelming theory and empiricism it suggests that it's psychological factors that can drive overuse of technology. It's not like tech, not the presence of technology in and of itself all of a sudden cause people to become depressed and anxious. Right. Um, so instead it's that, that um, anxiety and depressive symptoms, other types of genetics and other types of, of background predisposing variables are what cause some people to increase their use of digital technology. And of those people, to, it's of, to an, ex, an excessive extent. So, so comorbidity is common with overuse of technology, but in terms of the chicken egg problem, it tends to be that it's the psychopathology that comes first.
0: Got it, got it. Well, thank you for, for clarifying that. But even on a broader level, I am so thankful that you joined us today, John. Thank you for sharing your expertise and helping us better understand you know, what the assessment process might look like when someone is engaged in problematic smartphone usage and also some of the challenges and maybe um, evolving uh, areas of our practice in, in regards to how we label this and what we diagnose this with. Um, I want to uh, leave a last moment here in case we missed anything, if you've got any final kind of words for us.
1: You know, there, th- this is a, a moving technology field. You know, we'll learn more over time. You know, obviously, there wasn't research on problematic smartphone use before the late 2000s. So, um, you know, some of this is developing, is devel- developing and, and unfolding over time. And, and so we'll know more and more about these things as the technology changes. Um, So yeah, that's the only, I guess, final comment that I'd like to make.
0: Well, John, thank you so much for sharing your time with us today, your expertise, and helping us better understand how to assess and potentially treat with some psychological interventions and technological interventions for patients that might be struggling with problematic smartphone use.
1: My pleasure to be here. Thanks.
0: And listeners, thank you for tuning in. I'm Dr. Samuel Lescarton, and this has been The Clinical Consult, a podcast from the National Register of Health Service Psychologists. As a reminder, all episodes provide general information for discussion purposes only and don't serve as formal clinical advice or continuing education. <laughs>